The message is entitled, So You Don't Believe the Resurrection. Because even though the gospel is very clear, as we'll see, there are always people who will say, yeah, but, but, but. There's only, you can, you can only do so much. It's not an intellectual conquest or argument or um, a matter of convincing anybody. It's a matter of presenting the gospel. And then it's up to the individual whether their hearts are open to the gospel and if God allows them to see their need, that they can call on the Lord. But sometimes people are so hard and so uh, just against the things of God, for whatever reason, that they just, um, in spite of the evidence, they, they want nothing to do with it. And yet, um, God would have them to be saved and forgiven. But God doesn't force anybody. That's the beauty about Christianity is, is compared to a marriage, you know. Uh, like I said, I've done many weddings through the years. I've never seen one bride dragged up. They've all walked up on their own. And that's the same with you. If you're Christians, because you say, yes, I want to be your bride, Lord. Now I can't wear the gown, but you've given me the gown. I can walk then. Every one of us, it's a choice we make. Christianity um, without the resurrection is hopeless. It's a contradiction to the word gospel, good news. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Um, it's a certain hope. It's not I hope so, but I know so. So as you read through the scriptures, you are very aware of, of the very uh, repetitive message of Jesus, 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 what he did, who he was, what he accomplished. It has nothing to do with man or the disciples, the apostles, nothing with them. They're the mere instruments. Um, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, all uh, that which I, was, I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. According to the Scripture. In other words, the Old Testament, all they had at this point, the New Testament was starting to be put together. All they had in the scriptures. In other words, the resurrection is not a new thing in the New Testament. It was professed and prophesied in the Old Testament about the Messiah. We'll look at some of that this morning. So let's examine the resurrection of Jesus Christ from three perspectives. First, the prophetical words regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the practical evidence regarding the resurrection of Christ. And we'll finish off with the literal nature regarding the resurrection of Christ because there are some uh, similarities and differences in his physical bodily resurrection. Let's begin with the practical words regarding the resurrection. The Old Testament, again, as I said, um, records the promise of the Messiah because the Old Testament was given to the Jew, the Jewish nation. They were the people of God. God had chosen them, made a nation in Egypt. And so the promise to them was that one day their Messiah would come. And they understood that. But they never saw his death and resurrection. They were looking for a conquering Messiah. That's why they rejected Jesus Christ. So what they do in Isaiah 53, they spiritualize and say, well, the, suffer, the, 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 the wounds and all of that, the, it's the suffering of the nation. It's not a literal Messiah. But they, they take complete out of context. Speaking about a person, the Messiah. Job um, is probably uh, 
the oldest book of the Bible in terms that um, he lived at the, probably the same time as, um, as Noah, uh, not Noah, Abraham. And um, Job believed in the resurrection, and he brings it up. In Job 19, 25 through 27, it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last uh, on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. So he knew that one day he's here for some time, and then he's going to die, but he's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to see the Redeemer, the Goel, the one who's going to be resurrected. Peter in the day of Pentecost stated that the fulfillment of the Old Testament was now at hand, even as he preached in Acts chapter 2, 27 through uh, 28. He said that the Father would not leave his soul in hell to see corruption, quoting uh, Psalm 16, 9 through 13. So in fulfillment, the prophecy predicts forward, prophesying the fulfillment, you put them together. Okay, You promise certain things to your children, when you bring the fulfillment, it comes together. It's the same thing. Now, Isaiah said this about the resurrection, 26, 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell on earth, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the herbs shall cast out the dead. With my body, meaning the Messiah. The Messiah is prophesying there about his resurrection. Isaiah declares that. The resurrection of Christ is given in types in the Old Testament, as you know. Um, when um, there was a rebellion against uh, Aaron in the priesthood, he had Korah and the 250 men, and they, um, they presume upon the priesthood. So God said, well, everybody grab a rod and put it before the Lord, and the Lord caused Aaron's rod to bud and even had almonds. Well, it is the first um, fruit tree that awakens that winter, uh, symbolic of the resurrection um, of Aaron. And so even in symbolism and types, we see it. We also see it in the ritualistic cleansing of the leopard. The leopard, you never hear the leper was healed. Lepers are cleansed. Lepers see a type of sin. You can't be healed of your sin. You have to be cleansed of your sin. You see? Very important. And the two birds, one would be sacrificed and the other one would uh, be washed over the blood and water would be poured over and it would be released as a type of death and resurrection. So there are many types that are given to us throughout the scriptures. And uh, Paul the Apostle said that Jesus was the first fruit of them that sleep in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 23. The first fruit meaning that he's the first of what follows, the first kind of what follows. He was the first to be risen out from the dead, not raised like others, and we'll see that at the end, but out from the dead in a different form than any other, and he is the first of many to follow. The New Testament records the resurrection of Christ uh, fulfilled in the Old Testament, uh, uh, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus proclaimed his own resurrection. Even as he is ministering the gospel, and though he has not died yet, and though he has not risen yet, he spoke much about that. Uh, Jesus says, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up in John 2.19. They all say, listen, the temple, he's talking about the temple. How can you do, no, he's talking about his body all along. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And Jesus gave the sign of Jonah. He says, no sign shall be given you. Now, he's given all kinds of, he's done all kinds of miracles. He's healed people. He's done everything else. And they're saying, show us a sign. <laughs> you see, miracles don't save people. 
Signs don't save people. All they're going to do is say, show me another one to make sure that one was real. Simple. He says, no sign shall be given you in the adulterous generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. As he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so should the son of man spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That means that he was going to descend to hell and come up again. And the heart of the earth, and Peter tells us he descended to the lowest parts and then ascended up on high. We saw that on Thursday and Good Friday. Now, Jesus revealed himself resurrected and glorified way before in the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. He was metamorphosed. We get our word from that. Trans- completely transformed. His face did shine like the sun. His clothes was white as the light. 17.2 of Matthew tells us. And Jesus made evident just prior to that in 16.28 of Matthew that this event was the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Moses and Elijah are speaking to Jesus about his exodus, his decease, his death. And he is there glorified. Implication? He's going to be raised. You can't be glorified unless you're raised. And so Mount of Transfiguration is a preview of the second coming of Jesus Christ in his glory. The four Gospels record the resurrection. You can't miss it as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, they're independent from each other, the accounts. They're not a collusion. There's not, they didn't get together or anything else. The apparent discrepancies are not contradictions, but uh, supplementary in, to complement the entire record of the resurrection. Often people are so skeptical and so adamant and denying Christianity and refuting it and trying to prove it wrong, that everything is approached with, uh, with looking for uh, a hole, a, a fault that they can point to, a contradiction. But what seems to be apparent contradictions are no contradictions at all. As, uh, as I said this morning at the park, if you're standing here in the corner and, and some of you are standing on the north East corner and northwest corner and southeast and southwest, and an accident happens. And that policeman comes and takes a report from the four groups. Each group would give a similar account, but they would vary from very specific that would be at their vantage point. Now, that policeman would never say, Somebody's lying here. There's a contradiction here. He's smart enough to know that because you're at different vantage points, you're giving a different perspective. And if I put them all together, I will get the whole picture of what really happened. That's the Gospels. They're not contradictions. But when you come with a bias, you come with an attitude, well, you know, this is all man, then your heart is hard, your mind is closed, and so you conclude with the same premise that you began. Because your heart's already made up. There's no openness to the evidence. The accounts are in harmony. And each other supplements and complements. They were all eyewitnesses. R.A. Torrey said this, quote, The accounts are told in simplicity 
and straightforward, leaving the philosophizing to others. Do you realize the Bible is monosyllabic, right? One syllable words. A child can understand it. The Bible doesn't use big words. <laughs> About third grade reading. Real easy. God speaks to the common person. God, God didn't come to impress us. Now we get the whole big words from the seminaries and the PhDs that we have to break down, but... The Bible doesn't have big words. And the Bible always defines the word in the context. So we go to the Bible. What does the Bible say this means? Not what man says it means. It's important. The book of Acts mentions the resurrection of Jesus, the heart of the gospel message. Twenty, The twelve apostles were required to have seen Jesus resurrected in Acts 1, 21, 22. Otherwise, it couldn't be. When they replaced Judas Iscariot, um, Matthew's as the one that was chosen because he had been with Jesus from the baptism and he had seen him resurrected. Uh, Peter and the other apostles preached the resurrection throughout the book of Acts. They never preached just the cross. They preached the cross and the resurrection because the cross without the resurrection is nothing. It's powerless. The cross was the payment. The resurrection is the receipt. God accepted the payment. And it's valid. Luke says, And with great grace gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all. In Acts 4.33. Great grace, only found one time. There it is. God's outpouring of His Holy Spirit. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved. You are saved and I am saved because we are coming to God based on what He says He did and based on what He promises to do. Not because we're good, not because we have done good works, not because we're just the hottest thing since ice cream. We are coming because we realize and agree with God that we are sinners and that sin separates us from God. The wrath of God abides in us. And if we will repent and trust his revelation, he will forgive and save us. No one has anything to boast about. Everybody comes on the same level. You cannot use your pedigree. You cannot use your race. You cannot use your economic background. You cannot use your culture. You cannot use the color of your skin. You cannot use anything that man uses always to pit and divide you. God says, one in Christ Jesus. Wow. Male, female. Bon, Scythians. Scythians were the northern tribes that when they um, captured their enemies, they decapitated them and they uh, boiled their skulls and used the skulls for drinking vessels. That's who can be saved if they repent. I presume you haven't gone that far. Interesting. Paul preached to the Epicureans and the Stoics at Athens. Jesus in the resurrection in Acts 17. Paul divided the Pharisees and the Sadducees over the resurrection. He realized that the Sadducees didn't believe in spirits, angels of the resurrection. The Pharisees did. And he said, hey, if you've spoken about that, we're not going to. And they ended up fighting. Paul just walked away. Paul preached the resurrection to Felix and many others. Constantly. Never deviated. The epistles likewise mentioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, to the Romans, Paul says, Romans 1 and 4, he says, uh, Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. You see? The resurrection verified everything he said in every way. Confirmed it. Paul put it this way, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirteen. And if you read on, it says, then we're still in our sins and we are most to be pitied because we're lost. We think we're going to heaven and we're lost. But such is not the case. Paul said, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, 2 Timothy 2, 8. In fact, Paul named Hymenius and Philetus who had strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection had already passed and they had overthrown the faith of some, 2 Timothy 2.18. So that was a big deal for someone to deny the resurrection or to overthrow the faith of some denying it. That it or, or denying it or saying that it already happened. In other words, they said that the resurrection was spiritual. So when you accept the Lord, that's it. That's your resurrection. No, no, no. Talking about a literal resurrection. Emperor Theodosius, having on a great occasion opened all the prisons to release the prisoners, is reported that he said, quote, And now would to God I could open all the tombs and give life to the dead. See, no one has that power. Kings, emperors, governors at times, presidents can um, pardon people, release them. But no one, no one can raise people from the dead. Nobody can guarantee forgiveness of their sins. No one can forgive and give them eternal life except Jesus Christ. So if we're going to be interested in what happens after death, we should probably talk to someone who has been there. It's interesting how many people we believe about some things they know nothing about. They've never gone there. They've never been there. Only one person has died and raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. Why would you not believe the one who has gone that way? He's really the only one that can speak validly and truthfully about that subject. Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven if you go through the scriptures in the New Testament. Because hell is a real place and he doesn't want anybody to go there. Now he does give us a free will and he does give us a choice and he will honor that choice. um, But it will break his heart. You know, but we always try to hang somebody with our decisions, right? Because we say, well, I don't want to be a Christian. But then all of a sudden things start happening and say, well, why didn't God stop me? Well, you didn't want to be a Christian. What what responsibilities have towards you? You see, we... We, we want the best of both worlds without any personal commitment. Without a decision, you can't do that. Every person that reads the Bible or hears about the resurrection will have to either reject or accept the resurrection. That means that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you believe that He is God and that He rose from the dead and that that is the future hope for all mankind. So therefore, when you accept Christ Jesus, if you believe in reincarnation, it gets dropped off. You know it's not true. Some people believe in annihilation. You'd all of a sudden know that's not true. The whole 
song of the Beatles, Let It Be. It's Hinduism. In Hinduism, you keep coming back. It's a different creature, okay? And so he says, don't mess up his, his karma. You know what I mean? Let it be. That's what he's talking about. Well, the minute you're born again, you know, all that stuff is nonsense. We live, we die, we're going to be judged, we're going to be raised from the dead. That's what the Bible says. Every person will have to make a decision on the entire content of the Bible. You can't be picky about the Bible. I don't know if they even sell them anymore. These have little bread boxes and they have all the promises of God. But they were all positive, no negative. But you can't be selective like that. You've got to believe everything in the Bible. That God spoke creation into existence. That Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days. That one angel went out and struck 185,000 front line Assyrian troops. That Jesus died, rose, ascended up to heaven. Right after he descended to the lowest parts of hell. Everything. Absolute objective truth. No exaggerations, no embellishments, no lies. Absolute truth. That can only be done by committing yourself to Christ. We don't believe what we believe because we're so smart or educated. We believe because the Spirit of God has opened our eyes to the Scriptures by His grace. Every person will have to decide if they believe the words of Jesus about the Scripture. Because remember, Jesus now is talking about everything in the Old Testament that was prophesied to Him, right? And everything that took place. So people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in Adam and Eve. Really? Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. So how can you tell me you believe in Jesus, but not in Adam and Eve? Well, I don't believe Sodom and Gomorrah. I think it's just, you know, because people are against the homosexuals. Really? Well, Jesus believed in Sodom and Gomorrah's judgment. And you tell me you believe in Jesus? You can't be inconsistent, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus quoted Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, Amos, Habakkuk, Zechariah, many of them. Do you believe everything they say? Jesus never implied that there was any errors in the scriptures. Not one yod, not one tittle shall pass away. To my word be fulfilled. So what about the resurrection? Jesus told on Martha, I am the, resurrec- the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. It's yes or no. It's not a trick question. <laughs> There's no C. It's one or the other. So the prophetical words regarding the resurrection of Christ are reliable. Absolutely reliable. Secondly, the practical evidence regarding the resurrection. The scriptures attest to many personal eyewitnesses regarding the resurrection. So it wasn't something that just a few people got together and let's invent this and let's do this and let's just make sure that we get enough people to pass it on each generation. You know how laborious that would be? Mary Magdalene and the other women saw the empty tomb and they saw Jesus afterwards. The men on the road to Emmaus, didn't our heart burn within us as he opened the scriptures? Jesus appeared to the apostles, 10, 11, then again in Galilee. 
Paul confirmed that Jesus was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And finally, he was the last one, one born out of due season, like an abortion. The greatest enemy against the church on the road to Damascus. God appeared to him. And then Jesus discipled him for three years in Arabia, like he discipled the twelve in Jerusalem and Galilee and all around. And so all these eyewitnesses can't be lying. Now they could. Many men have lied. But we're talking about the scriptures. That which God has allowed to be recorded as his word. That's verifiable. Paul saw Jesus in the temple at Caesarea. Jesus appeared to him to John in Revelation, if you know, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 through 20. So the reality of Jesus that the scripture says is overwhelming. The religious leaders, as you remember, wanted to um, make sure that the tomb would be secure. So they went to Pilate and they asked him that, um, that he had said that after the third day he would rise from the dead. How interesting to me that his enemies believed that while the disciples couldn't even remember it. <laughs> and um, Pilate said, you know what? You guys have a guard. Make it as sure as you can. The tomb was not open to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let people in. He, he, that stone didn't need to be moved. We're going to see Jesus could go through walls and everything else with his new body. I'm looking forward to that body. <laughs> the older I get. The scriptures provide ample physical evidence as proof. Luke tells us the stone again was rolled away for the ladies to get in. The two angels said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. I've been to Jerusalem and Israel um, well over 20 times. And uh, I've walked in that tomb every time, and it's been empty every time. Um, he's not there. John and Peter um, entered the tomb, as you know. They saw it empty. They saw the clothes as if a body was in it, then the napkin over to one side, both one to show that it had been disturbed, the other one like it had not been disturbed. His body came right through it. Evidence. Matthew said others were raised from the grave at the same time. Listen, it was due to the resurrection. And Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints, of the saints, not the ain'ts, but the saints, those that died in faith, who had fallen asleep, were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. You imagine bumping into your aunt, your aunt uh, Lulu or something, okay, uh, 20 years after? So when 
The centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, those that came out of the grave, they weren't glorified. They're like the others that we'll end up looking at the end of the study. They were brought back from the dead to life. They died again. Okay? Their bodies weren't glorified. The scriptures provide ample evidence, even from cause and effect. The drastic change of the apostles before and after the appearance of Jesus Christ after the resurrection, gave them great hope. What a dramatic contrast when you look at them before. They're hiding, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes upon them, and now they're preaching boldly, even though they know they're going to be persecuted. 3,000 were added to the church there in Acts 2. Not by the apostles, but by the Spirit of God. I have never saved anybody, And if you think I saved you, you're probably still lost. Um, God saves. God convicts. God does that work in your heart. No one else. They were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus, but they proclaimed the gospel boldly. And they paid a price for it. The Sabbath was changed. Cause and effect. You know, all these... Early guys, they were all Jewish, the first Christians. And the Sabbath is ingrained. Even today in Israel, the majority of Jews are secular. As secular as you were before you came to Christ. But they still keep the Sabbath. If you don't keep the Sabbath or if you mix dairy products with meat during the Sabbath, and you're a restaurant, you will be charged 10,000 bucks and you will be closed down. And they don't believe in the Bible, but they have this culture, right? That's how ingrained it is. And in spite of seeing how ingrained it is even to this present day, even with secular Judaism, all those first Christians who were Jews went from Saturday to Sunday worship. What happened to them? They were born again. Drastic change. In Acts, it says, Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart, the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Acts 20, verse 7. The Sabbath. Paul always went to the Jew first, and then on Sunday, he spent with the Christian. Once again, in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, it says to the Corinthians, oh, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside uh, something storing up as he may prosper that uh, there may be no collection when I come. When did they do that? The first day of the week when you gather, Sunday. So the whole thing that the, the Christian church has corrupted the, the Sabbath day is a total lie. Okay? 
from the beginning, the church always met on Sunday. The Jew meets on Saturday. And by the way, that's Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, not our Saturday from the morning to the next morning. The New Testament records the transfer um, and the fact that they were transformed lives uh, by the power of Christ. So it wasn't because they took some, you know, um, uh, anger management courses or stuff like that. Or, you know, it was because they were born again. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, our goel, worthy of, uh, of losing the seal on the scroll that John was weeping convulsively about in the book of Revelation. The Trinity was involved in all of this transaction, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, the Father sent the Son, the Son uh, sacrifices life, and the Holy Spirit speaks only of the Son. And all three of them were active in raising Jesus from the dead. Very, very clear. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and he prayed this way, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the rich and glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised them from the dead and sat them at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. Ephesians 1, 18 and 20. The power of the resurrection. Only that power can open our eyes. Only that power of God can affirm that our sins are forgiven. Only that power can have you stand through all the difficulties of life. Only that power can transform you from day to day, from glory to glory, so that you become less like you and more like Him. Only His grace and His power. Archbishop Trench tells how in 1690, an agave plant native to hot and dry regions of the New World was brought over and planted in the gardens of Hampton uh, Court, placed by um, Queen Mary. Now, the last 10 years of the 17th century passed, and the plant gave no signs of flowering. The whole of the 18th century passed, and never a bud did the plant spring forth. 88 years of the 19th century passed, and still no sign of a flower. But in 1889, the venerable plant burst into blossom. Now, if a little plant that God created could appear to be dead all that time, but be alive, is it impossible for God to give you life from death? Absolutely not. He's life, love, and spirit. The Bible is um, affirmed to be the word of God throughout the scriptures. If you're a Christian and you study the Bible, you run into it all the time with words such as, Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. The Lord said, Write. The Lord says, Take the book. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me and many, many phrases like that. In other words, it qualifies the origin and the nature of the Scripture divine. The credible evidence of the resurrection stands or falls on the credibility of the manuscript evidence to an extent. The Bible has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature. If you young people are going to universities and you're studying literature, you know this already. 
Um, but then again, the university is not much education going on, just indoctrination, so maybe you don't. A.T. Robertson, Greek scholar, declared this, that we have 8,000 manuscripts of the Latin Vulgate, 1,000 earlier versions, 4,000 Greek manuscripts, 13,000 portions. Most, if not all, of the New Testament can be reproduced from early church writers. We don't have to use the Bible or the manuscripts. Warfield and Philip Schoel both declare that the word has been transmitted to us with no or next to no variations because we don't have any original autographs or manuscripts. We have copies of copies. So sometimes there may be a letter that be off on something. But because you know, just like if I write you a letter and I have an original copy, and if I mail it to you, but before I mail it to you, I make 20 copies. And then I mail it to you and I call you one day and I say, hey, listen, you have that letter I wrote to you? He says, no, I don't. But then I remember, I made copies. And I write, I take all those 20 copies and lay them out. Now, because I copied on a Xerox machine and the ink was almost out, sometimes one copy is going to have kind of like it's going to be an L, but it looks like it could be an E. Another time it could be an L, but it might be a T. But because I know English and I know grammar, those are not mistakes that can't be corrected. They're very obvious. You can see them. Okay? We have such an abundance of manuscripts that that, again, is to deny, to close our eyes against that. Now, God didn't have to give us all that stuff, but he did. How many people have tried to destroy the Bible? They're, they're gone. The Bible's still here. First thing that Mao did during the Cultural Revolution is to burn all the books. Throw all the teachers in jail. You don't want people educated. You don't want them free thinking. You want them indoctrinated. Only to what you choose them to believe and to repeat like parrots. So when a nation goes from education to indoctrination, it's already dead. Doesn't know it. Doesn't know it at all. If you compare the New Testament to the authors of the past, the Bible was written in the last part of the first century. Jesus was crucified 33. Let's just write that line right there, 33. By the time 95 was written, was, came by, the whole New Testament was already written. Seven plays of Sophocles are um, said to be authentic texts. No one doubts them. Yet the manuscripts are for 1,400 years after his death. 1,400. History of Thucydides, 460 to 400 B.C., known by eight, eight manuscripts. Earliest, 900 A.D. Wow. History of Herodotus, 488 to 428. No one doubts them. Yet, the earliest um, manuscripts is um, 1,300 years later. So when we judge the Bible, man judges the Bible not the same as anything else. They're very passive, very accepting and everything else, right? But the scriptures are very prejudiced. There is no body of evidence of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good 
textual attestation as the New Testament, F.F. Bruce said, before he died. If you would take all his evidence and you put it in a courtroom with a jury, judge, and some attorneys, jury would hands down say, Jesus rose from the dead. The evidence declares that. And so the practical evidence regarding the resurrection of Christ is undeniable if you're looking just to the scriptures. Third and last, the literal nature regarding the resurrection of Christ because there are some differences from those who had been raised back from the dead. Jesus was scourged, beaten, and treated tremendously and horribly bad, as you know, as you look at the Gospels. Um, they pierced his feet and his hands, crucified him. Um, his, he died really of a ruptured heart as the uh, centurion guard pierced his heart from the bottom up. And the pericardium was filled with water. And when that happens, the doctor says that the, the, the heart ruptures. Really, Jesus died of a broken heart. And the, the water was evidence of that. And the soldiers said he was dead. And Pilate could not understand why he died so quickly that even the prophecy there could be fulfilled that his legs, not one bone would be broken. Amazing. The resurrection of Jesus was no fraud as suggested by the blasphemous Passover plot saying that Jesus just fainted and then recuperated after the fact. Really. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a physical, bodily resurrection, not a spiritual one. It was literal. Jesus told Mary, don't hang on to me. I have not ascended to my father. She was hanging on to a real body. Jesus showed the ten, his hands and his side. When he came before, Philip says, here's my hands, Philip. Here's my side. A real body. Jesus ate with the men on the road to Emmaus. A real body. Jesus ate with the disciples in Galilee. A real body. And so the, resurrection, the resurrected body of Jesus was not only a real body, but it was a glorified body. Here's where the distinction comes in. The glorified body of Jesus appeared to be, in one way, the same as the one he had before. In that the people recognized Jesus. The apostles recognized Jesus. Though... Sometimes he didn't allow them to recognize him like the two men on the road to Emmaus. But the glorified body of Jesus was different. It wasn't subject to the same molecular structure. It was limited. Uh, it was not limited to the laws of the material world, such as our physical body now. Because Jesus um, didn't use a door to walk through the room, to the room where the disciples were. Jesus could go from Galilee down to Jerusalem like that. Uh, it's going to be a nice little body that we get. Um, it'll be a big improvement over this one. Um, the glorified body of Jesus is described as the first fruit of those who would follow in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and 23. He's the first and we are those that follow of the same kind. Celestial, incorruptible, powerful, um, Mary Magdalene uh, first took Jesus as the gardener, remember. 
His disciples, the same day Sunday evening, once again were locked up for fear. And Jesus stood in the midst of them. Peace be with you. He showed them his hand, his side, the proof of the resurrection. You see, the nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was unique from all others who had been raised back to life from the dead. The son of the widow of Seraphat in 1 Kings 17 was raised back to life. But he died again. The Shunammite son in 2 Kings 4, same thing. Jairus' daughter, same thing. The widow of Nain's only son, same thing. Lazarus, same thing. Dorcas, same thing. They died, they were made alive again, but they died again. Jesus died, resurrected, glorified body, never to die again. There's a big difference. And if we don't understand that, then we think it was just like, you know, Lazarus being raised. No, no, no. The word is ek, out from the dead. And so the resurrection of Jesus, once and for all, was made for you and for me for the sins of the world. That by that death, the payment was paid, and by the resurrection, God gave us the receipt of that payment. He accepted it. The propitiation for our sins, and not ours alone, but the whole world, First John 2, 2. Because God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, Second Corinthians five twenty one. Amazing. And I, I mentioned it Friday, we never think about it, but think of what the father went through. We talk about the son, and he was horrible, and mostly because he was separated from the father. But think of the father, what he must have gone through. If you're a father, you know that you would much rather take the pain or the suffering of your son or your daughter any day than for them. And when you see them suffer or treated badly, you know how it angers you and how it hurts your heart. And yet the father did it because he loves you. He punished his own son because he became our representative as sin was laid upon him. Wow. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Wow. Arthur Bisbane once pictured a crowd of grieving caterpillars carrying a corpse of a cocoon into its final resting place. The poor distressed caterpillar clad in a black raiment were weeping and all the while the beautiful butterfly fluttered happily above the muck, the mire of the earth, forever free from the earthly shell. Needless to say, Brisbane had the average Orthodox funeral in mind as he sought to convey the idea that when our loved ones pass, it is foolish to remember only the cocoon and concentrate our attention on the remains while forgetting the bright butterfly. The minute you die, if you're a Christian, you're instantly present before the Lord. 
2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. The body is a shell. I used to hear Pastor Chuck say when I was first a Christian, I came to Christ in 73, I was 23 years old. And I used to hear him say in the studies, he'd say, you know, one day you're going to hear Pastor Chuck of Costa Mesa has died. And he says, do not believe it. I moved. That's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if you've been fortunate to own a couple of homes in your lifetime, when you bought your first home, you were excited. You couldn't believe it. It's yours. And, oh, man, you painted it. You cleaned it. You just, oh. Then after a while, a few years, you know, you start looking around and, and all of a sudden you were able to buy a little bigger one, a little better one. Did, did, did your family members have to tear you away from the other? Oh, no, I want to stay here with this one. I love them. You didn't even look back. Thank God for this body. God's been very good to me in spite of all the stuff that's happened to me. But it's nothing compared to the body that God's going to give to us. Hands down, it's going to win all the way. This is temporal. At best, what? We hear some people living 110, very, very few. But what's that compared to eternity? Now, when you're a kid, you don't understand it. When you're a teen, you think it never happened. And all of a sudden, you reach 50, 55, 60, and you start saying, oh, shoot. It is happening. It is here. And you realize you've got more time behind you than in front of you. Well, the new one's eternal. Absolutely eternal. The doctrine of the resurrection of Christ is requirement for salvation. It's not an option. Search the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing him by the word of God. Romans 10, 7, he says... If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you shall be saved, Romans 10 says. And so it's not something you can say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the resurrection. There's no such thing. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in, uh, in, in creation. I believe we evolved. Your contradiction. I'm a Christian, but I, I, I don't believe that you have to be married to live with someone. You know, or to have sex. No, that's a contradiction. If you call yourself a Christian, then the standard is the word of God. You can't contradict it. You bring confusion to people. God doesn't look lightly on that. So we all have the same manual. We can all read English. (laughs) And if you're born again, you have the spirit of God. You should be coming up with the same interpretation that I do. Because we're children of God. Now, if you're not born again, then you, we pray that your heart will be open this morning. That you realize that Jesus died for you and that he loves you. The doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, again, is a requirement. It is the very evidence that God has accepted the payment of sin. The power of the gospel, nothing like it. The literal nature regarding the resurrection of Christ is irrefutable you can't get away from it so 
our prayer is to open your heart to the Lord, that you agree with him that you're a sinner and that he died in your place and that he alone can forgive you of your sins and transform your life by giving you a new heart, a new life. And that when he does that, he does it simply by grace through faith, not because you deserve it. It's just because he loves you and he's the only one that can do that. But don't think that he just kind of winked at your sin or said, well, you're a nice guy, we'll just shine you on. No, he killed his son for you. He poured his wrath on his son for you. Someone made a payment for you, not you. But he allows you to take the credit of that payment if you will accept it. So that you will never be able to boast about anything except in God. Wow, what a wonderful way to get saved. We're all rats. <laughs> we can't say, well, you have a bigger tail than I do. So you're not even... No. We're all rats. And so... Three truthful facts about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The prophetical words regarding the resurrection of Christ are reliable. The practical evidence regarding the resurrection of Christ is undeniable. And the literal nature regarding the resurrection of Christ is irrefutable. It's all in the Word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Not in your science book, not geology. Not your math book. God's divine word. Preserved and preached to you by the grace of God. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love and your goodness. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in the midst of us. And we pray right now for those that are here that don't know you, Lord, or over the internet. That, Lord, you would be glorified and you would just make yourself known and they were, hearts would be open to accept you, to call on your name and repent, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ, but you're here and God has ministered unto you and you see yourself in need of salvation, it is the grace of God. God has allowed you to see yourself for the first time who you really are and now... He allows you the ability to call on his name. And if you do that, he will honor his word. You acting in faith on what he has promised you. And he will forgive you of all your sins. He will give you a new nature. And he will write your name in the book of life and give to you eternal life. Not my words. His. So if you want to accept Christ Jesus, be born again right now. This is your prayer of repentance to Jesus Christ. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.